First Evers, Chapter 2 1. Respect I'd heard about athletes being in the zone. I particularly remember the Kansas City A's Hall of Famer George Brett talking about those unpredictable, out-of-the-blue days when a baseball inexplicably looked as big as a melon. Brett just couldn't help but hit a home run and go downtown. It never occurred to me that I could ever be in that zone. This special grace could only envelop true athletes who had honed their skills with daily workouts, practices, and swing coaches. This was not me. I was a slow-moving first baseman whose offensive output was meager at best. Feeble pop-ups landing in the mitt of an immobile center fielder were my specialty. I had slowly drifted down in the batting order of our slow-pitch softball team. One nondescript humid summer evening it happened. As I stepped into the batter's box, I felt a cone of magical light shining down upon me. Everything slowed down as the first pitch came in. The ball hung there as big as George Brett's melon. I stepped up and crushed it in a beautifully choreographic display of hand-eye coordination. This was no bloop, dying quail, or Texas leaguer, but in an absolute frozen rope to dead center, blazing far beyond the dazed fielder. Not bad for the seventh batter. I slowly jogged around the bases to the cheers of my stunned teammates. Next time up, I nailed it again, this time over the left fielder's head. Another home run. The third time I was up, I received the universal sign of respect for a hitter. The pitcher recognized me, called time out, and turned around to her outfield. With a waving motion, she yelled, It's her again! Everybody move back! Way back! This, of course, is the flip side to the more typical gesture I have received when the pitcher waves the fielders in. My opponents were helpless. Once again, I hit a rocket over the left fielder. There were no boundaries on this field and so no official home run, but as I was rounding third I could see that the fielder was still chasing down the rolling ball. I have never been in the zone again, never had that kind of flat-out, in-your-face, public display of universally recognized respect, nor did I expect to. 2. Duty Growing up in the early 1960s, we were told to clean our plates because other children are starving. The location of these poor souls varied, sometimes Europe or China, but my mother favored Armenia. I didn't know where Armenia was or why children were starving. Even at eight years old, I couldn't puzzle out why my clean dinner plate would benefit the Armenians. But I was a dutiful child and didn't probe any further. I cleaned my plate, though the two Hershey kisses rewarded for a clean plate might have been motivation enough. One summer I heard my mother talking about daylight savings time, and like cleaning my plate, I wanted to do my duty and save some daylight. I went outside with a jar, let some daylight in, put the top on, and stored it in my closet. Yes, I was a dutiful child, to the point of idiocy. 3. Cleverness My fifth grade English teacher, Mrs. Melton, divided our class into two teams for a vocabulary contest. Each team challenged the other to define a word. Most chose oversized words just entering our vocabulary, like obnoxious, democracy, institution. When it was my turn, I proposed the word the. 
The other team was flummoxed. So was Mrs. Melton. Did the word the even deserve a definition? It was innocuous, always there, nothing more than background filler. Mrs. Melton called me a clever child and asked me to define the word. I pointed out that the implied something more specific than a. I have often thought that clever is the best compliment. Dictionary synonyms include original, inventive, nimble, handy, ingenious, but all note that clever is a type of intelligence. My definition involves a simple, elegant, and surprising solution to a complex problem, and it should not be limited to humans. Animals are clever, or more accurately, evolution is clever. Consider the bee, whose comb consists of an array of perfect hexagons. Why hexagons? Why not diamonds or squares? This question has puzzled theorists for some 2,000 years since the Roman scholar Marcus Vero proposed that hexagons were the most compact structure. This honeybee conjecture wasn't formally proven until 1999. Those clever bees knew it all along. A hexagon minimizes the amount of wax they must produce. My the might have been momentarily clever, but I am humbled by the bee. Four. Shame. In the affluent suburb of my childhood, there were many types of status, cars, clothing, jewelry. But as a child, these were beyond my grasp. The one thing I knew for sure was that you absolutely did not want to collect S&H green stamps to redeem for furniture. But my mother thought it was a fun game. I was ashamed. My friends might think our family was just scraping by and that we couldn't buy furniture on our own. I couldn't understand why my mother was so oblivious to these implications. She would tally up her growing stash, thumb through the redemption book, and strategize what she could buy. Before friends came over, I frantically looked for stray green stamps on the counter and swept them into a drawer to hide them. After several years of saving, she finally got that porch table she had craved. I thought I could relax, that her collecting might be done, but it got even worse. She would usher people into the porch and gush over her new table, describing just how many green stamps it costs and encourage others to start collecting. Why not? You could get free stuff. Beyond mortified, I wanted to crawl into a hole. 5. Pride It took several years before the shame turned into pride and to realize my mother was thumbing her nose at the pretensions of our community in creative and amusing ways that went well beyond green stamps. She would comply with the requirement to wear a white outfit to play tennis at the country club, but would show up in black socks from my father's drawer. She preferred to play tennis in her romper-style bathing suit. She would carry a purse to social functions, as was the norm, but the only thing inside was a single, decades-old emery board in the remote chance of a hangnail emergency. She just couldn't think of anything else to put in a purse. She wore plastic poppet beads instead of pearls. One evening I watched as she got ready for a party. She was wearing her peekaboo dress, a bright pink number with a small, demure triangle cutout on her upper chest. Let's see, what shall I wear for jewelry tonight? She said as she rummaged through her motley collection. Oh my, how about this? The S&H Green Stamp grocery store had gone out of business, but she still had a few in her dresser drawer. Perfect. She licked the stamp, fixed it right in the middle of the peekaboo hole, and sailed out the door.